Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. So a few years ago, it was a typical uh, midweek workday at the Harrisonburg Church campus uh, down there in Harrisonburg, and uh, there was a gentleman in the auditorium, and he was tuning the baby grand piano. And as he struck each key repeatedly in the tuning process, I came to realize it can be very displeasing to listen to, right? If you've heard a piano being tuned, or any instrument for that matter, uh, it's not very pleasing. And so uh, it's no surprise that most of the staff had their doors closed that day, so they didn't have to endure the sound of that process. But with that observation in mind, I was walking down the hall, and I saw Aubrey, who was our worship director at that point, and she was sitting in, the, in her office with the door open. So I popped in kind of jokingly and I said, Aubrey, is this tuning like music to your ears? And she just laughed at my question and responded, well, no one really enjoys it. And I laughed, walked out and uh, walked into my office and the preceding thoughts came to me. If the piano is out of tune, then it will not produce the beautiful music that it was created to make. The piano must grow through the rigorous process of being struck on each key repeatedly while someone of greater knowledge and care tunes the piano to the proper key. And so I did the deeply spiritual, theological thing that we often do, and I asked Google, does a piano need to be tuned? Some of you didn't know that Google was deeply spiritual, but now you know. This is the response. The answer is very simple. It actually said that. The answer is very simple. The strings are under very high tension. That doesn't sound like our lives, only the piano strings. And over time, they stretch. Finding a qualified piano tuner and maintaining a regular schedule for piano tuning will extend both the life and enjoyment of your piano and maybe your life. Those bolded words jumped out to me. It seemed as though the tuning of a piano is a wonderful picture of the journey of discipleship that God has each of us on today. It emphasizes the importance and value of spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices and building blocks like we're talking about uh, as we follow Jesus in the way they're, they're essential to our life in Christ Jesus. Because you and I were created with purpose, and that purpose is to create beautiful, let's say, music with our lives. We're to live lives of worship to the Lord. And so it seems, though, in my life that often, like the strings of the piano, I can wear down under the very high tension of life and work and family, and I can be stretched. And maybe I'm alone today, but I don't think I am. I find it even more critical to stay connected to the most qualified tuner there is, yes, Jesus himself. I must have a regular scheduled time to be tuned. We must admit that when he is tuning our lives, however, to reflect his, right? That's, that's what these process, that's what these formations, these practices, when he tunes our life, it's often discomforting for us. We'll tremble when we're struck, 
But all the while, he is at work tuning us to the perfect key that rings with the sound of heaven. And so as Aubrey said that day, no one really enjoys it. But if God is tuning the keys of your life, and listen, sometimes that will require setting aside a regularly scheduled time for him to tune. Let him have his way. It doesn't always seem enjoyable at first, but in the end, we can know and trust he is working for our good and his ultimate glory to increase both the beauty and the joy of the life you have in him. Does anybody want that today? Amen. Amen. Here's the reality of where we probably find ourselves, however, at the end of a work week, diving back into a Monday. This came from an online article. It's many devices call to us every day. Our phones ping us with notifications. Information bombards us from our phones, wearables, and computers. Although we try to focus on the task at hand, we're pulled in a million different directions. Now, that is not my life, but that's probably your life. We now live in a multitasking world. That's a joke. Neuroscientists have established that human beings can't actually multitask. When we think we're multitasking, we're actually switching between tasks quickly. Studies have shown that these quick switches in context exhaust the oxygenated glucose in our brains. It's the same fuel we need to focus on complicated tasks. This switching has the added effect of leaving us exhausted and unfocused. Does anybody feel that way this morning? What we do as a refresher, what do we do? We take a trip to the coffee maker. We make mental breaks every hour or so to surf social media and check in with our friends or read the news. The sad reality is that all of these things are making us even more exhausted and more unfocused. It's not the breaks that are breaking us. Studies have shown that breaks can actually help with productivity. The problem is what we're doing during those breaks. These studies show that checking in on social media, checking our phones, fractures our attention. It produces more perceived multitasking in our brain, which is an increase in brain drain. Maybe you're feeling that today. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, we would, all, we would all opt in. Everyone wants to live a life filled with joy and peace. I want more joy and I want more peace in my life this morning. But if we continue, the reality is if we continue to, to willingly subjugate ourselves in our phones and to the hustle and the bustle of our cultural current, day in and day out, hustle, grind, hustle, grind, it seems like we'll, we'll just lead to so many negative effects that we're seeing with esteem, psychological well-being, and depressive and anxious conditions. Always connected, but so very disconnected. We need a different path forward. Would you agree? So welcome back to our series that we've titled Building Blocks. Building Blocks, and you're going to hear me uh, use these words interchangeably, but what we're talking about really when we say building blocks are spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, spiritual formations as we follow Jesus in the way. Whether you've been following Jesus for one week or for a lifetime, these are for each of us today and in the days ahead. These are for all of us. And so today we're looking at that different path forward that God has given to us as a gift and it's been there all along. And that building block is Sabbath. That practice is Sabbath. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, it was called Shabbat, which literally means to cease, to stop. And so we're going to look at the practice of Sabbath, this ancient uh, ritual cadence and rhythm of life that God still invites us and calls us to even today. Richard Foster, who's written a lot about the disciplines, he says, God has given us the disciplines, the building blocks, the practices of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his 
grace, and I need more of his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines, these building blocks that we began last week talking about prayer, right? Prayer is foundational because it's our lifeline. It's our, it's our relational uh, intimacy. It's where we start and end with God. It's, it's how we communicate and how we hear from God through prayer. And so that's where we began last week, and today we're looking at Sabbath. But these disciplines, these building blocks, they can do nothing of themselves. By themselves, they do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done by God in our lives, even at a soul level. So here's a few key concepts about Sabbath to get us going this morning. Sabbath is a fundamental command of God. Many of the commandments we find in God's word are for God. Some are for others in our lives. The Sabbath commandment is for us and our flourishing. However, we've already noted, through entertainment, social media, and technology, our culture keeps inventing ways for us not to rest right? Uh, it's, it's easy to find ways not to rest, to avoid the practice of keeping the Sabbath and receiving what God has for us. And from our earliest days, whether due to what we call the American dream or the passionate focus on getting things done, we are frankly taught not to rest. Now, in my home growing up on Saturday, and it depends on which day you look at as the Sabbath, but I, I came from a home where getting things done, my dad is a man who gets things done. If I was in bed getting into my preteen, teenage years, past a certain time on a Saturday morning, I would hear my dad come in the house. I would hear him holler my name upstairs, and he would say, it is a sin for you to be in bed at this time. He didn't literally mean it, but in his mind, it was a sin to be in bed past a certain time. You had to get things done. We've heard the phrase, right? You can sleep when you're dead, right? That's, it's, we know it. It's, it's ingrained in us. And so keeping the Sabbath is one important way we communicate to God. We want his way more than we want our own way. And so the first thing we're going to look at is what is Sabbath really? Where does this come from? And so we're going to be in Exodus 20 and verse 8. Exodus 20 and verse 8 is going to be on the screen in the Bible version app. If you download that, you can look, go to events, and there's an event there where I've put these notes. But Exodus 20 and verse 8, and I'm going to give us some context, but I want to read it first. Exodus 20, verse 8. If you've got a copy of God's Word, you can turn there. The front of your Bibles. Exodus 20, verse 8. says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That word holy there means by keeping it set apart, by keeping it sanctified, by making it different than the other six days of the week. So how are we doing with that? Verse 9, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Why did the Lord bless the Sabbath day and make it holy? Because the Lord himself, after all of his creative work, the God uh, who, who is infinite, who is not contained to time and space, who is, who is all-powerful, uh, all-knowing, all-gracious, that God uh, sanctified. He blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy because he himself rested after finishing all of his work. And on the seventh day, he set it apart. You say, okay, I've heard that. I understand. And, and you'll see, you'll probably notice that this text here that we just read comes right in, in the middle of what we call the Ten Commandments. 
right in the middle of what we call the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments. And so it's part of the Ten Commandments God gives us. And maybe you've been around church for a minute, or maybe you've been around it since the day you were born, but you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments. Remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy is one of God's Ten Commandments. We find in Exodus chapter 20, and you say, okay, I got it. So why does it really matter? What is God emphasizing here? In the NIV version of Exodus 20, the Sabbath commandment is the longest commandment that God gives to his people. Uh, it takes up 103 words, while murder and stealing only get four words each. The Sabbath commandment takes 103 words. God must have meant something. Uh, he, he must have wanted us to, to get it when he was giving us this commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy, to receive this gift of Sabbath. Because you see, God gave this to the people. He gave them these commandments when they're in the desert. He has just brought them up by his mighty hand out of Egypt, where for hundreds of years, God's people had been in slavery and in bondage, literally in slave labor to work and had no true rest. They had experienced no true rest for hundreds of years. They were in slavery and bondage to the culture in which they found themselves, uh, not by their own choosing. And so God says, I'm going to actually give you a, a once a week. Uh, one day of the week is going to be set aside for you to rest, to restore your body and your soul back to me, your God. And the Sabbath commandment that God gave in Exodus 20 is repeated in Deuteronomy 5. But in that context, God highlights the theme of freedom for his people. He tells them to remember, you were once a slave. Remember, you were once a slave, but you're no longer a slave. Now you're a son. Now you're a daughter. And so the Sabbath that God gives to us, that he invites us to, that calls us to even today, is the day God rested. And it's both a forerunner and a weekly reminder to you and I of the wonderful future rest that we will have in God, free from the bondage of sin and brokenness and exhaustion and hustling. And so it's a weekly reminder for God to say, stop, cease, remember where I brought you from, and remember the great hope that you have in me. And so God gives it to his people It's a great blessing as a gift. It's a gift given to us by God, but sadly, we neglect to open it. It's a special sign between God and those who belong to him. But yes, it is a gift. However, we have said, we have noted it. What is it found in? In the Ten Commandments. It is a commandment that is to be what? If it's commanded of God, it is to be obeyed by his people. So why is it a commandment if it's such a gift? It's because God knows us better than we know ourselves. And the best things that I have found in my life, and I think some of you would agree, the best things from God are often the most difficult to practice the way we should right? The, the best things that we've been talking about, uh, prayer. Prayer is so vital, and we feel so, but it's so hard to set us out of time. It's so hard to make time for prayer. Sabbath is to renew our soul. Man, it gives us life back. It gives us the rhythm of life that God created us for, but man, it's hard. It's hard to practice. We're going to talk more about that. We're going to talk about worship and community and giving, and these things are, are hard, right? It's hard to show up for life group. It's hard to get with other believers and really to bear our souls, to pray for one another. Why? Because, because it's got power in it. So why is it so hard? It's because the world and the flesh and the devil know how good it is. But you know what? There's good news. God knows it too, and so he calls us as his children. He invites us to obedience as we follow him in the way, and that obedience will lead to deep joy and overflowing and abundant life. And we'll find time and time again that taking the shortcut 
neglecting Sabbath, taking God's uh, way and saying, ah, I think there's an easier way. I don't think that I need that. It always leads to more stress and more hustle and more exhaustion and less sleep and more confusion, and the list could go on. And so as God said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it. However, Mark Buchanan, who wrote The Rest of God, he said this. He said, if we're honest, most of us gravitate towards minimalism when it comes to obedience. What's the least I'm required to do and the most I can get away with? Have you ever thought like that? You don't have to nod your heads. I'm with you. Pete Scazzaro, Pete Scazzaro, who, who authored Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and, and if you can read his stuff, it's wonderful. He said this. He said, make no mistake about it. Keeping the command to Sabbath, to Shabbat, to cease, to stop is both countercultural and extremely difficult in our everyday lives, right? It's countercultural to the current in which we live, but it's also just flat out extremely difficult in our everyday lives as people, as humans. Why? Because there's bills to pay, because there's kids to raise, because there's errands to run, there's projects to finish, there's dishes to clean, there's clothes to wash, there's diapers to change, we have addictions to our technology, and there's things that we feel we must control, and we have investments that we must make. Can anyone relate? And the list could go on and on. And so this idea of Sabbath, it cuts to the core of our spirituality. It cuts to the core of our convictions, the core of our faith, and flat out to the core of our lifestyles as we know them. And our culture around us, it knows nothing of setting aside a whole day, 24 hours, to rest and delight in God. The culture will say, what a waste of time. Author Jeff Bethke, he said this, he said, in our Western culture, that constantly bends the knee to gods of productivity and work-based identity and speed. Sabbath comes as a fist in the air every week in resistance saying no. We are not what we do. We are not what we have. We are not what we can buy. He continues, he says, we need to learn to cease. We need to learn to stop. We need to learn to have a day of delight once a week. We need a day to make sure we're still hearing the proper music, the heavenly music, right? A day to make sure the notes and our lives still align. That the notes of what God is producing in us, this melody he wants to produce with our lives, in your life and through your life, we got to stop once a week to recenter our souls on what matters most to see if the notes are still lining up with our lives and allow our master tuner to adjust us accordingly. Pete Scazzaro that I mentioned earlier, I agree with him when he says this. He said, like most, I always considered it an optional extra, not something absolutely essential to discipleship. That was my life. I didn't start taking this serious until about five years ago, or really even trying to practice it until about three years ago. He says, but living in a fallen world is much like being in a blizzard. Without the Sabbath, without having one day a week and honoring that day which God has set apart, we easily find ourselves lost and unsure of the larger picture of God and our lives. You ever feel like that? I agree with him. He says, I am convinced that nothing less than an understanding of Sabbath as a command from God, as well as an incredible invitation, will enable us to grab hold of this rope God offers us. So why Sabbath? Why? The prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 58 to the people of God. Verse 13, he said this, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, 
And if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. Why Sabbath? Because by honoring Sabbath, by keeping it, you will find joy in the Lord. If we don't go our own way, and we, we will find our deepest joy. And so in this rhythm, we're required to work diligently for six days to meet our needs and prepare well for the Sabbath each week. See, it teaches us a rhythm. This rhythm teaches us diligence. It teaches us planning, and it teaches us priority in our life. And so God mandates a day of rest, not to promote idleness, but because we need it at a soul level. And I think if we were each honest this morning, we would all say, yeah, I need that in the depths of my soul. This is adapted from uh, the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by Pastor John Mark Comer. And you're going to see that I'm quoting a lot of people this morning. It's because there are a lot of people much smarter than me that I look to, to glean from, to learn from, that I want to know and I want to uh, try to apply these truths that they've experienced into my life. And so I'm going to share them with you this morning. But he writes this. He says, when we fight this work six days and Sabbath one day rhythm, we go against the grain of the universe. And to quote the philosopher H.H. Farmer, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. <laughs> I've had people laugh off the call to Sabbath with a terrible cliche. He said, yeah, well, the devil never takes a day off. Um, last time I checked, the devil loses. Plus, he's the devil. The last time a society tried to abandon the seven-day week was during the revolution in France. This is fascinating if you ever have time to look it up. They switched to a 10-day work week to up productivity. They literally changed hours, days, weeks. It, it's, it's fascinating. Um, the rise of the proletariat. And what happened? Disaster. The economy crashed. The suicide rate skyrocketed. And productivity, it went down. It's been proven by study after study there is zero correlation between hurrying and productivity. In fact, once you work a certain number of hours in a week, your productivity plummets. You want to know what the number is? 50 hours. Ironically, that's about a six-day work week. One study found that there was zero difference in productivity between workers who logged 70 hours and those who logged 55 hours. Some of you are getting freed right now. Could God be speaking to us even through our bodies, even through the way that our bodies are wired? That fascinates me. My point is this. He continues, this rhythm, six days, one day, isn't the byproduct of human ingenuity, some ancient version of the seven habits of highly effective people that we're just free to adapt or change as we see fit for our modern era. It's the way a brilliant mind designed our souls and society to flourish and thrive. He said, so if you fight it, you're fighting God. And if you fight God, you're fighting against your own soul. So why Sabbath? Why should, we, why should we be intentional about this practice, this building block? It's because it gives us God-ordained time each week to stop and to rest, to delight, and to worship. And I want to break those down real quickly. The first is this, to stop. Literally, the word Shabbat in the Hebrew means to cease. So the first thing that we do, our call to uh, Sabbath each week on, on the seventh day is to stop. And we think, and listen, I'm with you, because I got three kids that are seven and four and two. And so we don't, we, you know, we just got a lot of time just to sit around and play board games. And so I'm with you. We think maybe I'll stop. Maybe I'll cease when my children grow up into adults and they're out on their own, right? When they get a little older. Or maybe we say, when I have enough saved to buy my first house, then I'll practice the Sabbath. Or maybe when I retire, I'll have time to really stop. 
and the list goes on and on, right? Humanly, we make up these justifications. But you see, the core spiritual issue in stopping to Sabbath revolves around trust. It's this question. Will God take care of me and my concerns? Will he take care of us and our concerns if we obey him by stopping to keep and honor the Sabbath? It really comes down to trust. Do you trust God that he is who he says he is? That he will be who he says he will be in your life? The psalmist reminded us in Psalm 46.10 to be still and know that I am God. This is an invitation from God to those who would come after him. You know, the problem is, though, uh, many of us feel this disconnect in our souls because we don't make enough time just to be still and know the love of God in our lives. So the first thing is, is it invites us to stop. Sabbath then calls us to rest. It calls us to rest. John Mark Comer uh, said this. He said, the idea of rest sounds wonderful, but in reality, rest is a radical countercultural act of resistance to the powers and principalities of a world that is at war with God and his kingdom of peace. His kingdom of peace. To practice Sabbath is to draw a line in the sand against all external and internal forces that would encroach upon your apprenticeship to Jesus and formation into his image, into Christ-likeness, and to say, this is how far you'll go, but no further. To rest is to defy some of the most powerful forces known to humanity as an act of non-cooperation that's done in love for our community and for the poor, for the earth, and ultimately for God himself. So it calls us to rest. And I love, you know, you know the text in Matthew 11, and I didn't put it on the screen, Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus is speaking and he says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, right? You know that text uh, pretty well, probably in the translation that you've read the most. But I love Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase in the message uh, paraphrase of the Bible. And so I want you to close your eyes just for a minute. I want you to hear this invitation from Jesus in, in the message paraphrase. This is the invitation. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What an invitation to rest from Jesus. So first, it invites us to stop and to rest. And the third thing that we're invited into that we, to, on, in, during Sabbath is to delight. To delight God, even after finishing his work of creations back in Genesis, proclaimed that it was very good. God delighted over his creation. On the day he rested, he delighted over all that had been created. And that, that word in the Hebrew, it, it really communicates this sense of joy and wonder and play. And listen, this can be particularly radical in a culture like ours, both in the secular culture and even in our Christian culture, because we are delight deficient. We're delight. We are deficient in delight. How many people do you know that you would know by name and you say, man, they are just a delight. Uh, their life is so delightful. When I'm around them, they just have a spirit of delight about them. I don't think people would say that about me, but man, I want that. And it's because the way that pleasure and delight has been so distorted by our culture that many of us, even in the church, many of us Christians struggle with receiving joy and pleasure from the Lord. And so I encourage you when, you, when you set out to practice Sabbath, 
when you set out uh, this coming week to practice that, make a list of, of things, activities that cause you delight and joy, and pick, pick a couple of them. Pick a couple to, to do during your Sabbath. Activities, not that drain you, not that stress you, not that weigh you down, but that lift your soul, that bring delight to you. What are those activities that you can practice while honoring God and, and seeking to please Him that just that literally lift your soul? Delight in the Lord. So stop, rest, delight, and finally the fourth is this, to worship. So ultimately, our trajectory is to elevate the Sabbath from a restful, joyful day off, which it is, it is to be, but we want to elevate it to a holy day of worshiping and delighting in God Himself. And so rest in God's goodness on the Sabbath. Read some of the Psalms, Psalm 23, 37. There are many of them that are a delight, a a, a song of praise, of worship. Listen to your favorite worship music. Spend some time, carve out some time for silence and stillness that you're probably not getting in the other six days. But sanctify this day. Set some time for silence and stillness. Just spend time intentionally in communion with God, not to ask Him just to, just to receive his love for you and return your love for him and re- back to him. Just to receive, when's the last time you just sat and you just received the love of God at a soul level? And so on Sabbath, whatever connects you more deeply to God and his goodness and beauty, uh, turn your heart towards that in worship. But you see, as, as we pursue those things, there are enemies that will come. Uh, because why? Because Sabbath is a good thing. It's a gift from God. And so bear with me as we, as we move here. The two enemies that seek to sabotage Sabbaths, the first is this, is busyness. Busyness, right? Soren Kierkegaard said busyness, keeping up with others, hustling hither and yon, makes it almost impossible for an individual to form a heart. Thomas Merton, Thomas Merton said the biggest disease in North America is busyness. Would we agree with that? The biggest disease in North America is busyness. It's not cancer. It's not heart disease as detrimental and painful as those things are. Why? Because those can kill the body, but busyness can deteriorate your soul. Because you you don't come back to God. You don't don't allow God to, to, to restore you at the depths of who you are. Mark Buchanan said, Most of the things we need to be most fully alive never come in busyness, they grow in rest. They never come in busyness, they grow in rest. And listen, in today's America, uh, in today's America, complaining about being busy and working all the time is so commonplace that most of us do it without even thinking. It's a subconscious level, right? If someone asks you, how are you? We no longer say, I'm doing fine. I'm well, thank you. How's the, yeah, we're great. Life, man, I'm at peace. Well, no, no, here's, here's our common, right? We often simply reply with what? If I came up to you, this way, man, how you been? How you and the family been? We've, we've been busy. We've been, it's been good, but we've been busy, you know? Uh, we've, been, we've been busy. You know, life's good, it's busy, but we got three kids, so you know we're busy. We're all over the place. It's, it's full, but it's busy. It's, you know, I've been busy, but, but it's good. Work's busy, right? We don't, we're not guilty of that, but somebody you ask has been guilty of that, right? Right? Um, we're busy. It, it, becomes our, it becomes our natural operative uh, that, we, just, that we, we don't even realize it, but when someone asks us how we're doing, we're busy. And somehow in our culture, we've raised and elevated busyness to almost be like, we are succeeding if we're busy. The reality is, is that much of our perceived busyness is often of our own making. So the first enemy to really receiving Sabbath as the gift that God has for us is busyness. The second is this, that will, that will make it a monster is legalism. Legalism will take Sabbath from the blessing that it is and turn it into a burden. 
And so maybe some of you, maybe some of you, when you heard the word Sabbath this morning, you immediately felt burdened because legalism makes it sheer mechanics. Legalism turns Sabbath into simple arithmetic. It takes the imagination of it and it drains it of intimacy. And Jesus noted this in Mark chapter 2. It says this in verse 23, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Right? The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And so they see these disciples, they're, 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 they're working, they're not doing anything bad, they're, they're just they're rubbing their hands together to get the grain out. They're not breaking uh, the, the formal law, but these laws that the religious people had set around, right? The do's and don'ts, the, the mechanics, the arithmetic. Check this box and check that box. And Jesus gets into this conversation with them, and, and he finishes it saying this in verse 27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That Jesus is saying, listen, you weren't created so that you could honor the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for your good, for your flourishing, for your life, for your soul. Man was given the Sabbath for your good. Man wasn't given so that he could check the boxes, that, so that he could make sure that all of, all of the ducks were in a row because the Pharisees had made it arithmetic. They had made Sabbath a burden and, and, and taken the blessing that God intended all along. And you see, maybe you, maybe you can relate with that. Maybe previous generations, many of you in here, even me, maybe often you thought of Sabbath as this somber, serious day full of religious duty and legalistic rules. Maybe that's the way you were raised, right? Some silly ones, maybe. Maybe don't cut the grass. You better not do yard work on the Sabbath because it's the Sabbath, right? M my wife growing up, her grandparents had a pool. They could swim the other six of the week, but on the Sabbath, on Sunday, you are not getting in that pool because it's Sabbath. And so maybe for some of us, it was don't cut the grass. You can't go swimming today. You need to go to church and you need to wear certain clothes. And that's what Sabbath was, right? Check the boxes. Check the boxes. It was arithmetic. Added it all up and you had honored the Sabbath. You see, on the other end of the spectrum today, there are some who think uh, Sabbath is just a day to chill and relax or sleep and just to self-indulge as much as you can. And listen, I can be guilty of, of swinging that way or the other, checking a box or, man, I'm just going to do whatever I want. But you see, both of these miss the essential truth. The Sabbath is designed by God as a day to give yourself fully to delight in his world and in your life in it, and ultimately to delight yourself in God himself. To delight yourself in the one who gives you life. Mark Buchanan, author of The Rest of God, he said, Sabbath is the stranger you've always known. It's the place of homecoming you've rarely or never visited, but which you've been missing forever. You recognize it the moment you lay eyes on it. It's the gift that surprises you, not by its novelty, but by its familiarity. It's the song you've never sang, but hearing it now, you know inside and out. It's words and it's melody, it's harmonies, it's rhythm, the way the tune quickens just before the chorus bursts. It's been asleep in you all this time, waiting for the right kiss to wake it. Life is meant to be much different, fuller, richer, deeper, slower from what it is. You know this. You've always known it. You've just been missing it your whole life. Man, what an invitation from God. What a gift that he lays before us each and every week. 
I imagine Christmas once a week. Wow, what a gift. And so you say, all right, pastor, that sounds good. I want it. But how do I practice this in real life? Because I'm still living in real life. I'm not living uh, on a Sunday sermon every single day of life. I'm living real life. And so I'm going to give you a few things, just a few things to try to help you flesh this out in your day-to-day life. The first is this, pick a time to Sabbath. And let me give you the three basic options that are most often uh, looked at. The first is this, the Christian Sabbath is often on Sundays, which is best for most because it's also our day of worship. However, the traditional Sabbath was from sundown on Friday night to the same time on Saturday night. And this is when my family most often practices Sabbath. Uh, the third option is the midweek Sabbath from those with non-traditional work schedules. If you work weekends, pick a day. It doesn't matter if Wednesday's your off day, make that your day to Sabbath. Whatever uh, fits you. God doesn't have a r- arithmetic. He doesn't have mechanics that, oh, you can't do this day. What? No, Jesus brought freedom to it. And if an entire day is too much for you, that's fine. Start where you're at. Start where you're at. I encourage you to set aside three or four hours, maybe after church on Sunday or on a weekend night, turn your phone off and just make time to stop and to rest and to delight and just to worship God for who he is. If it's possible, get into a rhythm of making Sabbath the same day each week. Why? Because our bodies will memorize the day And once you practice it, once you start getting the rhythm of it, your body will begin to anticipate it days before, and it'll often live off the energy the rest of the week. The joy that you experience will provide you what you need the rest of the week. In biblical theology, the day begins at sundown, not sunrise, which we've been accustomed to in modern mindset. But at the end of the week, many of us are too exhausted to really enjoy the Sabbath. And so for that reason, I personally, and I recommend that you begin at night, if at all possible, maybe with a dinner. Make it that night and go to the next evening, whatever it is, dinner to dinner. But, but begin and receive Sabbath that way. Because sanctifying some of our time will add richness to the rest of our time. And so with a weekly Sabbath, here's the good news. It's great news. Actually, you get 52 tries a year. If, if somehow this past week you're like, man, I missed it. That didn't feel like it should. Great. Next week's coming. God's got another Sabbath for you coming at the end of this week. And listen, some weeks are going to feel great. You're going to nail it. You're going to be like, man, that felt so restorative. My soul was so connected to God. I just, I just feel so delight. I'm ready for the week, man, whatever God's got. That was what it was supposed to be. In other weeks, you're going to feel beat down by work, and you're going to not sleep well that week, and Sabbath's going to come, and you're just going to be a, a little bit on edge, and you may be short with your wife, or you may snap on your kids, and I'm not speaking from experience, because that's never happened to me. I'm, t- I'm speaking of what might happen to you, but this may be the reality, right, and you miss it, but guess what? God's going to give you another chance next week, so receive that gift. And here's another tip that's helped us uh, to try to be more intentional about it is prepare for the Sabbath. That sounds counterintuitive, right? But you're going to have to prepare for it. In the New Testament, the day before the Sabbath was called the preparation day to prepare for Sabbath because Sabbath's not just going to happen in your life. It's too countercultural. It's too hard. We've already established that. And so if you let the inertia of the day and you say, well, let's just see what happens, carry you, you'll get sucked right back into Egypt's current. And that's what God was trying to keep his people from. That's the cultural current that we've been freed from. And so be intentional to prepare for your Sabbath. And it'll get more exciting the more you practice it. It's going to be easier for some of you and harder for some of you to set a little time aside to say, all right, the afternoon before, the day leading up, I'm going to prepare. 
Maybe you go grocery shopping. Maybe you prep your meals. Maybe you tidy up your home, your apartment a little bit. Uh, Maybe you do the errands that need to be done so you can truly rest. Make plans beforehand to be with your family, to be with your community. Answer your texts and emails so you can power off your device. And maybe you say, "That's, that's too much. Well, just try it for a couple hours. Try it for a couple hours. Plan some activities for that day that will bring delight to your soul. Whatever, whatever it is, spend some time preparing to receive that gift of Sabbath. And what we do in my house to get it going is, and maybe I'm going too long, but I'm going I'm to wrap it up here for you guys. We have two candles that we begin, and this is, if we don't do anything else to prepare at the, at the dinner, we have the meal, and we'll put the candles down, and we'll have the kids at the table, and we'll light the first one, and I'll say, what does the first candle represent? It reminds us to what? And it, it's to cease. To cease from what? I'll ask the kids, what are we ceasing from? From our working and our worrying and our hurrying. And then we'll light the other candle. And listen, we forget sometimes. We don't do it every week. Uh, And we pull the other candle out and we say, what's this one represent? And it's to celebrate. So we cease and we celebrate. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating God's goodness and his provision and his grace in our lives. And listen, this past Tuesday, my son hauled, and, and we haven't even done it in a couple weeks, like the, the candles and all that. But my, my son is eating breakfast. He's four years old, and he looks at me, and he says, Dad, when is Shabbat again? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's four days from now. Okay, yeah, because and, and, they've just learned that it's a day of delight. Uh, from their perspective, it's a little different. But, but listen, if you have kids at home or not, or if you've never practiced this, you don't have to be perfect. Just be persistent. You don't got to be perfect. That's what, the, that's what the Pharisees wanted. They wanted perfection. to the, No, just be persistent with a heart of, of desiring what God wants for your life. And listen, uh, we're going to pray this prayer. I got these cards that you can get on your way out. They're on the table. Somebody might be handing them out as you leave out there. Um, and I put a prayer here we're going to close in. And, and some tips here, just some, some activities that you can use to help to prepare for Sabbath. I just want to give you a tool to take with you. A few more tips as we conclude as the, as the worship team comes. A few more tips just for, for practices, these, these spiritual disciplines, these building blocks. Start small. Start where you're at. The second is this. Think subtraction, not addition. Not what am I going to add to my already crazy life? What can I take away that I can add this that gives me life? The third is this. You get what you put in. And remember the J curve. When you're starting something new, there's always a little dip before you start getting better. And finally, there's no formation without repetition. There's no formation in our lives, whether for positive or negative, without repetition. And so, uh, practicing Sabbath, though it can become ritualistic, as it did for many in the New Testament times, when we're sincere and we gladly separate one day of the week for God, it will concretely express that we're not going to go our own way, that we desire God's way. We desire to be renewed at the depths of our soul. Back in those days, it was a sign of faithfulness to the covenant And in our day, it's a sign that we truly belong to the one who gave us life in the first place. Pastor John Mark Coburn said, The end of Sabbath is not to say, I practice Sabbath. It's to apprentice and disciple under Jesus to become a person who is marked by an inner spirit of restfulness and who is calm and at ease in their own body, unhurried, kind, and present. You'll become aware of what God is doing around you, sincerely grateful, emotionally healthy, and delighted by the goodness of your life with God. A person who is like a rock in a sea of chaos, unmoved by the overwork, overconsumption, and overactivity of our host culture. Sabbath calls us to cease and to rest and to celebrate and remember, observe, deny yourself, and delight yourself. And listen, our world is hungry for genuinely changed people. 
grace of God at work in our lives. It's opposed to earning, but His grace is not opposed to our effort. As we put our position, ourselves in position for God to do His work of grace in and through us. Would you stand with me? Enjoy the life. Enjoy the life that is in Christ Jesus and walk joyfully over the earth. I'm going to pray this prayer as we close. It's going to be on these cards that you take. You can take it and use it. I've went way over my time. I apologize. But, but let's pray this together. And, and you can just pray it silently right now because it's new. But I'm going to pray it aloud, and then we're going to worship and, and close today. It says this, Lord of creation, create in us a new rhythm of life composed of hours that sustain rather than stress, of days that deliver rather than destroy, of time that tickles rather than tackles. Lord of liberation, by the rhythm of your truth, set us free from the bondage and the baggage that breaks us, from the Pharaohs and the fellows who fail us, and from the plans and pursuits that prey upon us. Lord of resurrection, may we be raised into rhythms of your new life, dead to deceitful calendars, dead to fleeting friend requests, dead to the empty peace of our accomplishments. To our packed full planners, we bid peace. To our over-caffeinated conscience, we say cease. To our suffocating selves, Lord, grant us release. Drowning in a sea of deadlines and death chimes, we rest in you, our lifeline. By your ever restful grace, allow us to enter your Sabbath rest as your Sabbath rest enters into us. In the name of our creator, our liberator, our resurrection and life, we pray. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.